Welcome to Away From The Keyboard. We give you a glimpse into the lives, interests, and tech behind today's technologists. Please join our hosts, Cecil Phillip and Richie Rump, as we get away from the keyboard. Welcome to Away From The Keyboard, where technologists tell their stories of how they started, how they grew, how they learned, and how they unwind. My name is Richie Rump, and with me, my co-host, Cecil Phillip. How you doing today, Cecil? I'm doing really good, Richie. How have you been? Pretty good. You know, I've started a new gig and I have been working from home. I am a full-time remote employee for the first time in my career and it is very interesting. Wow. So what what's the work dynamic like for you being at home now? I, I've kind of been setting up for this for a little bit. So for the last few months, I've been working on my home office and getting things like a standing desk and making sure that I have a, a proper place so I could work because I, I had a feeling that I'd be doing a lot more work from home. And one of the, the big things that I did this weekend was I put some pictures up that I think represent myself that I've had in my closet for about 15 years. It was a, We got some of these, fo- these old uh, historic photographs uh, from, we were in New Orleans at the time uh, for the uh, UMUF Sugar Bowl. And we had picked up all these photos and they were nicely matted and just never got frames for them. And I got them up and they look fantastic. One of the photos is of Buzz Aldrin on the moon. Uh, I have a big space and uh, sci-fi uh, bent to me. So that, that really represents me. I have Dizzy Gillespie playing the trumpet. And I love Dizzy Gillespie. I love all that old time jazz. Reminds me of you know my grandparents because that's what where they came from. And I have uh, Ernie Banks, uh, Mr. Cub, uh, throwing someone uh, out at second. And I'm a big-time Cubs fan. My family's from Chicago, so I have that. And, of course, uh, Michael Jordan, I have this full-length spread of him above my desk. Yo, you got to have the Michael Jordan. I got to have the MJ. And what's interesting is that the MJ was a fold-out Nike marketing campaign. Really? And what and what yeah and what I did and it, and it goes and says, you know, his vision said more than he ever could and and his creativity said more than he ever could and essentially is highlights of his career. It's all black and white and so I had it sent away and they had sliced it so it's just each individual panel and there's about six of them and I got it all framed and I love it. It's inspirational. It reminds me of you know me watching the, the greatest player ever. And it's right above my desk. I finally feel that I'm, I'm starting to get a place where I can actually be effective in. Now, actually being effective, I'm not quite sure about. But <laughs> right. But we're working on that. Maybe that could be another episode, uh, bringing someone who's actually done remote work for a, a long period of time and, and can give us some tips and pointers on how we can be productive. I think that'll be a really interesting episode. I believe a lot of people would love to know what it feels like to set up a comfort zone at home because there's so many distractions when you're at home, right? There's the fridge, you know, there's oh, the television fridge. or if you're into music, you might have a stereo system, you know, you might have noisy neighbors outside. There's so many distractions that could eat away little chunks of your time and, and you know, those add up. Yeah. And, you know, you've got possibly little children being homeschooled at home. And, <laughs> and there's that Maybe. too, right? There's little babies at home and... <laughs> So, but I definitely think that'll be an interesting episode. We should look for somebody to come in sometime and talk to us about that. Yeah, I think that's great. You know, and it's definitely been a challenge for me getting started and um, trying to find my way. And, but, you know, I'm really looking forward to the challenge of being a remote worker because I think companies are now looking for not just the best people in their area, but the best people and the best people live all around the world. Nice, nice. So for us, this past weekend, we actually did a little family trip and decided to go up and see the springs over by the Gainesville area. You know, I'd never heard about it before. My my family, my friends there, everybody's talking about it. But I got to say, it, it, was, it was very cool. So we went over to see, we went to two springs. We went to Fanning Springs first. We went to Fanning Springs on Sunday, on Saturday, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Then we went to Rainbow Springs on Sunday. I, I'm trying to decide which one I like the most because both of them were so so different, like so 
awesome at the same time. It's crystal clear water. Got to go diving. We had some little boats that we blew up. So we got to row around on the boat a little bit. But it's such a lush, beautiful experience. Like, I forgot for a second that I was still in Florida. Like, I kind of felt like I was back in the Caribbean for a little bit. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah, it was nice. It was, it was fantastic. There's waterfalls, and there's actually a lot of history behind some of the springs, too, particularly for Rainbow Springs. So, Rainbow Springs was Florida's fourth largest spring. And then they also said between the 19, around the 1930s, all the way through the 1970s. It was actually a privately owned attraction until later on. Now it's become one of Florida's um, fabulous public parks. Definitely recommend if you ever get a chance to go over there. It's, it'll definitely be a, a worthwhile experience. Cool. Cool. So I want to remind everyone that we have uh, an event coming up here in South Florida. And if, so if you're in the South Florida area, come on down to Tech Night at the Ballpark. That's going to be on Tuesday, August 25th in 2015. That's going to be held at Marlins Ballpark down in Miami. It's going to be held at 5.30 to 7 p.m. That will be the pregame party. Then after the pregame party is the actual game where we'll all go together, sit together, and watch a ball game. For more information, you can go to tech9attheballpark.com. Tickets are just $15. So who are we talking to today? So today we're talking to Mr. Gareth Swinnipal. So Gareth's a system admin turned SQL Server DBA. He's been working in the IT industry doing support and administration for over 20 years. He enjoys solving the complex problems that his clients encounter when deploying SQL Server in a data warehouse environment. So he doesn't enjoy the simple problems, just the complex ones? Uh, that's no fun. Give us the hard yeah, stuff. Yeah. yeah, the hard stuff. Give us the hard stuff. So he's an accomplished author and speaker. Current products include contributing content for the SQL 2014 Extended Events book. Mm. That sounds pretty interesting. Yeah. He also currently serves as one of the past regional mentors for the U.S. Southeast region. So this episode was recorded on June 13th, 2015 in the Speaker Lounge of the SQL Saturday South Florida. Now, typically in the Speaker Lounge, you get a lot of speakers in there and it's kind of rowdy and kind of loud. Sometimes it's quiet and then people come in and it's not so quiet. But this time it was really quiet. Did anyone actually come in this episode? Um, yeah, some people came in, but we cut them out. <laughs> no soup for you. So here you have it. Get a swinopole. Enjoy. And now, away from the keyboard's feature conversation. Yeah, my name's Gareth Swanepoel. I'm from South Africa originally. So yes, you are listening with an accent. I heard an accent. I was wondering where that was. Yeah. From South Africa. I came over in... Uh, 2001 to America. I worked in a bunch of uh, Windows shops and Unix, and I worked for a support company that did a lot of support for silicon graphics machines and mainframes and all that sort of thing. So I've done a lot of systems administration sure. in my past in South Africa. I really enjoyed um, doing amateur dramatics in South Africa. I ran an amateur dramatic society. Really? Yeah, that was great. It's something, you know, so different from work mm -hmm. where you go up on stage and you acting there's no you know, worried about what your computers are doing or what your clients are doing anything it's just that I, I firmly believe in having that break from work sure for a lot of developers that's such a completely left field type of experience than what a lot of us are used to yep. like, like a lot of us are very very introverted very quiet you know yep. even though we're not working or behind the keyboard necessarily like we're still doing something technology related um, podcast podcasting yeah. <laughs> plugging in cables and wires and you know messing with circuit boards and doing this all this kind of stuff so I find that really really interesting so how did you get into that exactly well when I was in high school we had uh, plays during the high school and sure. uh, either show productions like a, a whole school production or we had a one act play festival and I really enjoyed that. I got up, got up on stage. And I was very introverted at high school. And obviously, being a geek and a total nerd in the 80s, sure. I got all the, you know, beating ups and <laughs> and teasing and sure. stereotypical Everything stuff. Everything that comes along with yeah. the, the crowd. So getting yeah. up on stage and acting, I was able to you know, totally be a different person, um, get out of the shell, get away from who everybody thought I was. And I actually won a, an award in the One Act Play Festival. That's awesome. That's cool. And so then I joined the Amdram Society, 
and started acting there. And it was just, it's just something that's so different from work that gives you a chance to be away from the office, not worry about what's going on in your, the rest of your life and just enjoy the people. It's really, really interesting people that act. And right. Obviously a lot of prima donnas and crap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We don't get that in technology not whatsoever. In, at all. No, We're no. all, you know, introverted geeks. No. <laughs> right, right. So there was good times. And then I came over to America and I haven't really found a Amdram society or anything like that to get involved in, but I do get involved in outdoorsy stuff. I go camping a lot. Um, so what is, what is Amgram? I heard you mention that a couple of times. Amateur Dramatics. Amateur Dramatics. Okay. Yeah. Got it. So being a thespian. Gotcha. <laughs> See, I got to get with the lingo. So yeah, I didn't, I didn't know that either. Yeah. So uh, I really enjoyed it, uh, acting, and uh, I still, every now and then, think about finding a place to go and find something to do. But it takes a lot of time, especially when you've got rehearsals and that sort of thing. Sure, 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 sure. Yeah. Sure, sure. So now I actually go and I do reenacting, which is... Similar to acting, except that you're actually performing or uh, portraying somebody from a certain period of time. Okay, and I, I do you. I do reenacting of the war between the states. I've heard about those. Yeah. Oh, you mean the Civil War? Yes. No, okay. no. The war between yeah. the states. You mean the Civil War? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's right. Civil War was that Marvel event where Captain that's America it. and Iron Man, Iron Man went against and beat each other. Yeah. Up. Yeah. Okay. I, yeah. Spider Man was the guy with the face mask. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Exactly. See, he's one of us. Yeah. yeah. I know <laughs> what Civil War is. We could talk about that. <laughs> yeah. So um, I really enjoy reenacting doing civil war reenacting because it's similar to acting you get out there there's no cell phones there's no tvs there's no radios you're camping for the weekend authentic camping i do um camping out there with just you know a fire pit cast iron pots and that's it and so, lots of fun so how how do you do that right so so because i've i've seen documentaries on how they cooked and all that stuff but how do you do that in the modern day. So what's the kind of steps to do the cooking with one pot and getting... So a lot of the stuff we do when spectators aren't around, you can actually use modern day equipment okay. kind of stuff. Uh, you cheat? We, well, you cheat, of course. We're not going <laughs> to eat hard tech and coffee beans, you know? <laughs> it's just not on the cards. But, so we, but we bring all the stuff with us. We actually have a various number of cast iron pots. There's one guy who's the chef for our company. Mm-hmm. And he's got all this equipment and big frying pans and grates for the fire and whatever. But we'll eat modern stuff, steak and chicken and hot dogs for lunch. So Sometimes it, we'll use a propane stove to heat up like vegetables uh, okay. or corn or whatever. But most of the time we have a fire. We build a fire, cook over the fire. So does he actually have that, you know, and I forget what kind of, the Dutch a oven? Dutch oven, yeah. And he puts the coals on, on top, top and does yep. and, and all that stuff? The whole thing. Oh, that's amazing. He's got this frying pan. It must be about... 24 inches across, it can hold 18 dozen eggs in it. it oh, unbelievable. But it's not as big as like a, a paella. It's um, one of them, yeah. Like oh, that. it is? Yeah. Oh, wow. Big, huge monster. Takes two people to pick it up. Wow. Yeah. And that's all cast iron? Yeah. Yeah. All oh, the cast wow. iron stuff. We got cast iron grates and we use the actual blacksmiths who make like cast iron equipment that the cavalry guys use and that's they make the grates that we cook on. They make the post wow. steaks. So it's all tents. custom made stuff. Uh-huh. uh-huh. So it's 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 a it really it's not like a modern meld you know that you just purchase off. It's really just as authentic as you can make it. Yeah. Wow. Some of the guys inside their tents at night, if it's cold, they'll have uh, propane stoves and heaters and that sort of thing, like modern equipment. People sleep on cots, Hmm. but uh, the rest of the time around camp, you try and be as authentic as possible, as opposed to uh, you, you don't want to go live. Some of the guys will go campaign. Mm-hmm. And sleep under just a burlap sack. Wow! But I'm not like that. I yeah. much prefer <laughs> sleeping in my tent. So, um, you know, I, I just found that the, the, the Dutch oven interesting. I, I think I saw it was a, a Good Eats episode, and he went through all the history of you know the Dutch oven and how it came about, and yep. kind of what you have to do to get it ready to to cook. And yeah, you have to season it. Yeah. 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 That's, that, you know, I just found that fascinating. And every time we use it, you have to clean it properly, then you season it right away yeah. with oil so that wow. it doesn't go rusted, all that sort of thing. So yeah, when you I mean, put it away, it's not bad. That's that's awesome that you get to that level of detail, you know, even in how you cook the food when you're doing the yeah, reenactments. Yeah, cook modern food, but we try and keep it close to uh, 
looking authentic. Right. So, so, so you're not, you know, going down, you know, the street to a house and reading it for all the food and then. No, no, no. We're not going to do that. <laughs> Only the North did that. Oh, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Okay. Kidding. So, so is there, so your company, I'm assuming, is portraying the South. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, um, oh, no, the one, that's that why joined, you said the war between the states. The war between the states. Yeah. The guys that I joined up with uh, were Confederate unit. Okay. We also portray Union soldiers sometimes during the battle. Mm. It's known as galvanizing because in Florida there's a lot of southern people and we go to these reenactments and uh, there's not enough people to be on both sides. And it looks a bit silly when you've got <laughs> 10 Union against 50 Confederate. Yeah. You know? uh, so sometimes we'll actually put on blue and go and fight as a Union as well. So I've been on both sides, but we'll camp with the Confederate camp. Hmm. Yeah, so but it's just uh, it's just that's the group I fell in with when I started. It's really interesting to learn about American history mm-hmm. like that, where you're actually portraying something that happened 150 years ago. Because uh, I come from South Africa and I never learned that part of American right. history. It's not something that we learn in South Africa. So it was really interesting to get involved in that, just to learn it from from the grassroots. You know, a lot of the guys are very well read, very educated about what went on, and a lot of the history books don't even tell the true story. Right. And I'm not saying it from a bad point of view. I mean, the, the victors wrote the books, but the victors wrote the books sometimes in the way that they propaganda wanted everybody to know about. Sure, sure. Interesting. But a lot of the stuff is uh, is. True, what they wrote, but a lot of the stuff is more. Propaganda. Well, you know what? What I've what I found as as I get as I got older was that history is really in the documents that were written at the time, and uh, history books don't not necessarily go back to all the documents. And one of the things that my wife is she's concerned about a lot of things, but one of the other things is you know the 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 lost art of cursive writing and reading cursive writing because if we're not teaching cursive in the schools then how how are these uh students these kids when they get older be able to read those original historical documents that are all written in this beautiful cursive writing that everybody could do at the time and now I could barely fill out a check using cursive you know yeah exactly um and one of the things that I make sure to stress with our family is uh, my wife home teaches our kids and she's definitely making them make well my son now and my daughter when she gets old enough learn cursive writing yeah. as well as the uh, block letters yeah Sa- same thing with us yeah, yeah we're doing the same definitely thing. but yeah i mean i listen to um the napoleon podcast i listen to a bunch of different podcasts uh history of rome life of caesar that kind of stuff i'm really interested in listening to history podcasts and one of the things that those guys do is they are looking at it from um, a napoleonic point of view the hmm. napoleon podcast but a lot of people who grew up in the commonwealth you know the british empire learned the british side of the story right so it's very interesting to hear a little bit more from the other side of the story where the Battle of Trafalgar was a huge loss, whereas for all, everybody's life who lives in any Commonwealth country, it's like, oh, Trafalgar was the best victory for England ever, and it wasn't, you know. It, oh, sure, they won, but it wasn't the great victory that mm-hmm. everybody thinks it was. Yeah, I, f- I found that my when I got in college that my background in history just wasn't what it should have been. Yeah. So by the time I got into college and having to write all these papers and all that stuff, I, I, I was really behind the eight I had really had to study, 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 especially history, which wasn't hard for me because um, I love that aspect, particularly American history. And um, it was just kind of sad that, you know, I came from American background, public schools, and I get into college and I'm like, I don't know a lot of this stuff. <laughs> what, 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 what happened here? Yeah, and I never took history like in the late part of uh, high school, and I never did history or anything in, in college. But a lot of the stuff I've learned and I'm getting interested in now, I'm just picking up from reading encyclopedias and books and whatever. And it's really interesting. But um, I do think that the South African education system did do a little bit more emphasis on world history, mm-hmm. when not so much focus on American history, but a lot of the stuff I read when I was uh, in high school in encyclopedias and whatever. So I had a bit of a background. But I did uh, computer science at university. So I know neither me nor Richie are, are very familiar with South Africa. Does you know, the, the industry like over there? Um, South Africa is pretty good up to date. 
in technology standpoint. Um, the company I worked for in South Africa, we did a lot of support for all different kinds of things. We were a third-party support company, and we had the contract to support uh, silicon graphics machines. That was in the 90s when it was all uh, the machines that they used to do Jurassic Park and Independence Day mm-hmm. and all those machines. Sure. So I supported some of that stuff. In fact, um, the movie The Ghost in the Darkness, yeah, they filmed it about an hour outside of Pretoria where I lived in South Africa, mm. and they used silicon graphics machines on the movie. Nice. And for to make the lion and the right. special effects and stuff. And the machine broke down. So they called our company and said, you've got to come and fix it. For half an hour, I was more important than Val Kilmer. <laughs> <laughs> it was awesome. That's fantastic. So you have credits in the movie somewhere? No. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you should. You I should, you should. Yeah. But they just, no. Because when you support sure. something like that. Then. Right, right, right. But... Uh, yeah, technology is the same. Obviously, they use some of the older stuff. I was still supporting controlled data mainframes in mm. the 90s because the companies that use that kind of stuff didn't have a chance to go and upgrade. Mm-hmm. Sure. But it's just so expensive. It South Africa is far, far away. costs a lot of stuff. Money to get stuff there. Yeah. Very expensive. So that, that's a little bit like Antigua. So I'm from the Caribbean. I think I say that every podcast. Every podcast. <laughs> well, I, you know, I have hey, to by because he doesn't know me. But, by the way, where are you from again? I'm from Antigua. I haven't heard that yet. I'm going to say it like at least 10 more times. <laughs> <this podcast. laughs> I think you're supposed to say right. Antigua. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm saying just to give Garrett some context. So for us, you know, technology is also something that's, it's not like how it is up here. Like, you know, there's definitely some things that I've gotten spoiled with. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know. Online banking and debit cards and stuff like that, like simple yeah. things like that. But now I came over in 2001, and when I came over, the South African banking system, that sort of thing, I thought was a little bit more advanced than Americans at the time. I don't know what it's like now. Yeah. But a lot of the stuff in South Africa, your technology as such, not computers, but luxury items, TVs, DVDs, uh, video machines, that sort of stuff, it was very much a definite luxury item in South Africa because it was so expensive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even the old cheapo Japanese stuff, it was still expensive in South Africa because of the transportation costs and the import duty. And so it's still like that. So, so, I, so well, I could imagine then in, in the schools though over there that computers are not are they, as are those, prevalent. Are they, yeah. are they as prevalent? Some, but you're not going to have a computer lab where there's a computer for every kid. It's sure. going to be like you're sharing or Something like that. Right, 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 right. Yeah. So when I finished high school in 89, we didn't even have XTs or 80s or 386, 286s or anything. We had Commodore 64s at that point. You know, so that's what I <laughs> Ain't finished wrong high with school. That. Ain't nothing wrong with Commodore Not at all. No. I mean, it's great. I love Commodore 64s. Yeah. Used to program on a little ZX Sinclair with a 128K. Yeah. Right, right, Expansion card. Load star, comma eight, comma one. That's it. Let's right. get it going. But it was good to be growing up in that, even though we didn't have as no, much as what uh, some first world countries might have. <laughs> well, it's good because you kind of understand what it's like not to have it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And how productive you could still be without it. Correct. And and realize and it's s- more so of an added benefit. Yeah. Right? And so sometimes I think nowadays we're so reliant on that kind of stuff. Yeah. And we need to step back for a bit. Yeah. That's, that's, that's one of the, important. another thing I love about doing reenacting, you step back and you see how much people actually got done without all this technology right. yeah. advances and everything. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think it's very important for you, again, just to step away from the keyboard, right? Yep. Definitely. Whether it's, you know, getting involved in, in reenactments or you know, maybe you just go to the beach and sit down and, you know, leave your cell phone in the car or at home yeah, or yeah. something like that and, you know, just connect with nature for a little bit. Yep. I think yep. that's very important. You know, we're lucky that we're in South Florida. We could do stuff like that, but, you know, not everybody could go to the beach you know, Every, I know, right? Not everybody can do that. But we are lucky to live in Florida. Even me, I live in Orlando, but we have a big lake, like uh, Mineola, right near us. And they've okay, got a. Yeah, right in Claremont, they've got a beautiful mm-hmm. actual beach right on the lake where you can go play in the sand. They've got uh, yep. all sorts of. It's awesome. And the best part is it's not salty water. So Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and even where I was uh, up in Jacksonville, it was an hour to the beach. Mm. So you don't go as much. But people who live in Denver are like, "What you would, you should have been at the beach every weekend." Yeah, <laughs> you know it's funny when you live in certain places and people say, "Oh man, you must go to Disney World like every day." Well, for you guys down here, it is a little bit 
further to get to Disney. Now I sure. live probably 25 minutes from Disney, so I'll Should go you, fairly, you, fairly often, but you? not every day. And living in South Africa, I, all I got was newspaper articles about them building it. Oh, wow. And I really, really looked at that, and I was like, wow, I really want to go there someday. So when I came over here, um, I met my wife, and we went there to Disney. It was uh, 2003 or something for the first time, and I I swear I was like a five-year-old kid. <laughs> <laughs> it was awesome. So, so I've never been to South Africa. So what's some of the attractions that you would recommend that we, we go take a look at? Well, South Africa, from from my point of view, the reason that it's so awesome is because it's so beautiful. It's an unbelievably beautiful country. Nice. Plus, there's such a variety of landscapes. You can go from total desert in the western, northwest of South Africa to savannah on the northeastern side of South Africa and go in safaris and go to the Kruger National Park. That's definitely a place you need to go where you can go and see all the big five, you know, don't get out your car because you will get eaten kind of stuff. You know? <laughs> nice. Yeah. Oh, man, these uh, tourists that go there and they think, oh, I'll just run, roll down the window so I can get a better photograph. Sure, no, go, you're going to get eaten. Them. And uh, there's also mountains, huge mountain ranges. South Africa has one of the only two ski resorts in the whole of Africa. Really? And it's in South Africa on the southeastern part of South Africa. And I've right. been there skiing there. I went snowboarding and it's really cool. There's only snow for like three months of the year. Right. But it's really interesting to see the mountains and all that stuff. And then, of course, you got the wine lands by Cape Town, the wine country. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> South Africa definitely has got some of the best wines in the world. And that's not just me being biased. It's just <laughs> unbelievable, the wine It's country. okay to be biased. I get biased sometimes. <laughs> is, it, is it just grape um, wine or do yeah. they have other type of fruits there? Or? The whole area there is got a lot of fruit, but they mostly only make grape wine. Grape wine. But, but a lot of the fruit... That is exported to Europe is grown there in that area oh, as well. So, so yeah. they'll go ahead and do the import, or and then they'll make the that type of fruit wine in Europe. I think so. Yeah, oh, I guess. But um, it's eating fruits as well. Oh, okay. And so, you get okay. a lot of fruit juices yeah. from that area. That oh, comes. interesting. Yeah. But my uh, my aunt, my dad's sister, used to own a wine farm down there. My cousin actually went and studied veterinary at Stellenbosch University in the wine country there. Wow. Yeah. And they bought a wine farm just to be able to practice the craft and everything. And it made some really good wine. Wow. I don't have any left, but it was (laughs) (laughs) It didn't last very long. So what's your favorite wine out of South Africa? South Africa has one particular kind of wine. It's called a Pinotage. It's only found in South Africa. That kind of grape is only found in South Africa. Okay. Um, Back in the 1700s, the French Huguenots were run out of France Similar to the Puritans, the way they were run out of England and came over here, the French Huguenots went to South Africa. And they found this beautiful area that was perfect for uh, wine country because they all came from France. So they did bring some of their um, grapes and stuff from France, but they found this grape locally called Pinotage. And they've cultivated that over a couple of hundred years. Now it's a beautiful, beautiful type of wine that's only found in South Africa and it's really, really good flavor. It's got a lot of body. Right. It's kind of a um, really good table wine, but it's also got enough body that you can have it with uh, good red meat, that sort of thing. Like so, a good steak or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. Nice. So a lot of red wines are either too heavy or they're just, you know, table wine, drinking wines, like a Merlot. But this has got a blend of all everything. It's a very versatile wine. So what about the, the, the different types of foods in, in South Africa? Do you have any national dishes or anything that specifically like your country makes really well? Yeah, there's a couple of things that South Africa does. Um, we have a lot of German and Dutch influence, obviously, because right. we were a colony of Holland for a long time. The Dutch East India Company founded Cape Town. That's how um, Cape Town came about. Came about. And so there's... Uh, sausages and that sort of thing that is introduced from German and Dutch heritage. So uh, there's a sausage that is specific to South Africa called Burvos. It's made with a lot of different kind of spices, kind of like Italian sausage that comes or a bratwurst, mm. kind of like that style. But it's not shortened into links. It's like kept as a big coil, mm-hmm. big oh, uh, right. string yeah. or 
whatever. And it's got a really, really nice flavor. Lots of uh, meaty kind of flavor. Coriander's used a lot in there. Salty, that sort of thing. So Burevors is a definite South African national dish. And then um, there's a lot of corn in South Africa. So they make cornmeal porridge. The, the people okay. would eat that a lot. It's a very, very big uh, staple in right. South Africa, cornmeal porridge, and they'll either make up a tomato and onion gravy to go with it or some kind of meat gravy or whatever you want to make with that. So uh, that cornmeal porridge is called pop. Pop is the Afrikaans word for porridge. And uh, oh. so you have vors and pop. That's a really, really good national dish. You know, wow. it's kind of interesting because I know my a lot of my uncles and even my fathers, who he used to eat a lot of cornmeal pop. You know, and I, I think it's interesting because you can see like some of the, the African influence and a lot yeah. of the food that we yeah, do eat in the Caribbean. Yep. Um, do you guys have, so we have this thing called fungi. Fun- um, fungi is made out of okros and cornmeal. Oh, okay. We don't have any don't okra. Have so. Okay. So, so, so the way you do it is you, you pretty much, you know, you kind of like just mush it all together and you, you keep turning it. Like the, apparently the technique to it is you keep turning it and turning it and turning it and turning it. And it becomes essentially like this this ball, like this heavy. Yeah, ball. yeah, that's kind of similar to the way they make pop. They just keep on stirring. Right, keep, you keep yeah. turning, turning. It becomes like into this ball. And a lot of uh, most of the time, we eat it with like fish. So you'll have um, the fungi, right? And you'll eat it with, you know, f- a stewed fish. Yep. And you'll just cover it completely over with fish broth. For instance. Okay. Right, and and I know that's one of the big things we eat, but it kind of sounds like a, l- a little bit similar to some of the stuff that you yeah. guys have. Yeah. And then there's a lot of different. Influences as well. South Africa is such a cosmopolitan country. We got influences from all different sides. We got, like I say, a lot of Dutch and German, also some of the English influences. So there's a lot of tea and that sort of thing. We got a lot of Indians uh, from India where the um, spice route went through from India to Europe. So on the east coast of South Africa, in the Natal area, there's a lot of Indians. There's a lot of curries. curries. Oh, my goodness. You go there to, to Durban. And you walk around the market there, it's just, oh, it's like being in India. It's yeah, yeah. unbelievable, beautiful stuff. And they'll make everything from samosas and oh all God. sorts of things. I love so there's samosas. A, yeah. So there's a, uh, I'm so a hungry way right of preparing curry in South Africa that is specific to Durban, where they actually uh, take the curry and they take a half a loaf of bread that hasn't been sliced and they hollow it out and they put the curry in there. It's called bunny chow. That oh, sounds wow. fantastic. It is awesome. <laughs> as soon as you finish, go look, go Google bunny chow with curry, mm-hmm. and they put this in there, and you eat the whole thing just with your fingers right out the bread, oh the God. curry, wow. and it's just unbelievable. You right there, bro? You don't understand the power of curry, man. Curry is a power. Curry is awesome. You know, There's a lot of curry dishes. I, I, I get a, a lot of people thinking that I'm Indian, but I'm not a big fan of curry at all. Really? Uh, no, you no. You don't do the spices? No. Oh, man. No, I just don't. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll go, you know, Mexican food all day long. That's what I was growing up on. But no, not not Indian. Do not like it. Wow. I, I couldn't tell I, you why. So talking about Mexican, you like spicy food then at least. Uh, absolutely. There you go. Absolutely. So there's a chili found in South Africa. It's only found in Southern Africa. It's called the African bird's eye chili. Hmm. It's also known as peri-peri. Mm-hmm. And they make uh, uh, Portuguese have a lot of influence in that area, especially in Mozambique. Um, but they'll make uh, chicken called peri peri chicken, and they'll use peri peri and all different kinds of stuff. In fact, at our company, we have a chili competition every year. Yeah, yep, yep. And I use that chili in my chili. Oh, you can get the sauces and you can get the actual powdered chilies. And three out of the four years, I've won our chili competition with that stuff. So, so, but now you've given your secret over on the podcast. Hey, go and ahead. Anybody who can find it and can make it just like that. <laughs> Let's put it this way. I have a recipe that I use to make my chili. So the first year I made my chili and it was uh, January, right? Because that's when it's cold over here. Mm-hmm. Cold-ish in Florida. It's not really cold. But... Um, one of the other guys was having a Super Bowl party, his neighborhood Super Bowl party, and they were going to have a chili competition in the neighborhood as well. So he said, can I use your recipe? I said, you can use the recipe, but you can't find these chilies. So just use whatever, jalapenos or mm-hmm. whatever you're going to use. He made that recipe with whatever chilies he found, mm-hmm. and it won that oh, competition wow. in his neighborhood. So it's, so it's not, not the, chili. the chili. Oh. It's the recipe plus the there chili. 
There it is. That's what I've done. <laughs> See, now I'm hungry. So you talk chili, See? and I'm all about that. Enchiladas. And, and, and tamales, the, not not the Cuban tamales, because they're completely different. They're not really tamales, but the Mexican no. tamales. So you talk um, enchiladas in South Africa, and you know you have Jamaican patties as yeah. well. Yeah. In South Africa, we have pies, just similar like to meat pies. Meat pies. Meat pies. Yeah, yeah, like that comes that very British influence, but we'll make it with South African foods. Mm. There's a South African meat dish. It's like a meatloaf, but you put curry powder and chili powder in there as well. So it's called babuti. And we'll put babuti in a pie, in a meat pie. And it's, oh, my goodness, unbelievable. Like a curried meat pie. Oh, yeah, baby. <laughs> those are not, those now are I'm those. getting hungry. <laughs> <laughs> There's a South African shop down here in Fort Lauderdale. Is there? Oh, oh yeah. Uh, and he makes pies. It's called Meal in a Pie. Meal it's in down a- just off of uh, Commercial and US1. I'm going there today. I'll, I'll send you guys the address. Oh, my goodness. I'm serious. Please send me that address. <laughs> I will. I will. It's really days. awesome. They make all sorts of meat pies there from scratch. Brilliant. And they got all this South African food there. See, nice. I'm stuck on the Jamaican meat, meat patties. I haven't had that in, the, in, in, a, in a while. I think I that may have some on the way great. home. Yeah. So they actually sell them, I think. You can get either Publix or Walmart or whatever. Boxes yeah, they're, they're, they're not as good. But they're not as good. You need to go to like a Jamaican to, bakery yeah, and do all that. Actually, yeah. Nick, Nick Molnar, when he was on the show, talked about his, about his love about uh, those Jamaican patties from a place that was right next to where my sister used to have her uh, had her dance studio. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I was like, wait, Dodd, I know that place. I know what's up. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. It was some good stuff. That's it. Yeah, those Jamaican patties are good. They're good. Yeah. Patties are real hit or miss for me because it depends on who makes them. Yes. I've had really bad patties. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I've had really good patties yeah. too. So it really depends on where you go. In fact, I'm actually missing it today, right? There we are living in Claremont. Today is the Jamaican Jerk Festival in Claremont. Oh, really? Yeah. And I'm missing it to be here. <laughs> I think the one here was a couple, uh, one couple months ago. Yeah, actually. So if you were here a couple months earlier, you could have been here for that too. Yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> we we got to change the uh, sequel Saturday dates a little bit. We got to exactly. shift it around to to make sure it coincides with the Jamaican yeah, Jerk right. Festival. That's right. Exactly. That's exactly right. So, um, I I know that you're uh, they're one of the national sports in South Africa is cricket, correct? Yep. Oh yeah. So cricket is huge in all the British colonies. So so talk to me about that because I'm American. He knows yeah, yeah, I know yeah. Yeah, I'm American. I have no idea. It doesn't make sense to me. So explain. <laughs> To myself and the listeners, what the heck is going? Because I finally started understanding soccer, right? Okay, I'm, I finally soccer football fairly easy. Yeah, right. football. Yeah, I start yeah. I started understanding that, and I'm starting to watch a lot more of that. But explain to me cricket because I don't understand a game that lasts like four weeks. No, no, not four weeks, but five days. Yeah, <laughs> same difference. So uh, the whole point of cricket is similar to baseball. Only baseball is a, like a quarter of a circle. The it's cricket a, is the whole circle. It's a diamond. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. The yeah, the the but it's only if you look at the baseball field, yeah. it's a quarter of a circle. Yes. The cricket field is a whole circle and you stand in the middle. Huh. So there's two guys standing in the middle with bats. And the bowler comes into bowl and the guy in the middle with the bat hits can hit the ball in any direction. Oh, interesting. So in baseball you only got what nine guys on a f- That's team. Right. In cricket you have 11. Huh. And they can be posted all the way around to stop the ball going and you know, cut down on the runs. And the runs are easier to get because you don't have to go to four bases. Right. It's just from one side to the other side. Oh, okay. But there's a lot more to it because there's all different ways that you can go out because in baseball you've got strikes. In cricket there's none of that. It's you bat until you go out. Oh. So that's why it can last so long. So you get one guy who can bat like – Mr. The the ultimate ultimate batsman in all the world, dum, dum, dum. Brian Lara. Brian Lara. <laughs> he batted one time in a first class match for three days and scored four hundred runs. Oh my gosh! I don't think anybody's going to break that record anytime no. soon. That's that's well, it. that just sounds insane, right? I mean, yeah, three days, three days. And people complain about baseball being too long. <laughs> oh no, cricket! I mean, one innings in a. <clears throat> Shortened version of the game lasts about four hours. Oh my gosh! Yeah, but you got all eleven people go through the one innings, and everybody plays until they go out. Wow! So cricket for us is is, is very much of a, a cultural thing. Yeah, it's not even just about the sport. No, you know, people that don't like cricket will come out and watch cricket. Right. You know? Yeah. You know, and you come out, and there's music playing outside. There's barbecues. People are. It's like a mini festival. 
going on around the game. And it lasts four days. Yeah, but not not outside the park. Yeah, inside the stands. Oh, yeah. wow! You so they'll be take, cooking like inside yeah. the stands. Yeah, because wow. the game lasts so long. I remember going. Uh, there was a uh, stadium, an international stadium, right three kilometers down the road from my house where I lived. So I used to go down there often on my bicycle. And I watched uh, Australia play South Africa, West Indies came. Yeah. I used to watch uh, provincial games, and Brian Lara played for Northern Transvaal at one point. And uh, you're allowed to go in with a, a barbecue, what, a portable barbecue. Wow. Yeah, gas bride normally, but uh, you can take in a cooler, a bunch of stuff. You can't take in alcohol, but you can take in sodas and food, whatever. And what? you go sit up there on the grass. It's not all... Seats. Yeah, okay. It's like grass banks. Okay. And you can go sit up there and you can start cooking your food. Yeah, there, there's some minor league ballparks that are like that. Yeah. And in the outfield, they're essentially all picnic area. It's just picnic area, and, yeah. But you, you're you not going to be able to bring in, you know, your cooking, yeah, cooking oh, equipment to go and do all that. This you is know. Africa, man. You're yeah. taking all the stuff. <laughs> yeah, I think outside of America, we're a little bit more lax. With yeah, a lot more lax. Yeah, they won't even let me bring in my pocket knife. Yeah, yeah. I, I was oh, in the Marlins no, no. game a couple weeks ago and they're like, um, you can't come in with that. I'm like, ugh. So I had to go back to the car, drop off the knife, and then, you know, go into the game. <laughs> it has changed recently in the last 10 or whatever years, but yeah. it's in the good old days, we used to go and barbecue by the cricket. That was a whole day thing, and you enjoyed it. You take the whole family, everything from the, the kids to the old people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think cricket could exist in, in the United States like that. You know, because in Antigua, when, when cricket was going on for those four or five days, yeah. nobody was going to work. Oh no! Exactly. Right, so yeah. you go into the bank, and there's one bank teller. Yeah, because you know? everybody else is at the cricket. Everybody's yeah. left, and everybody's going to go cricket. Hey, yeah. I'm going to go to lunch, and I'll see you in like five days, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like like that types of stuff is going to happen, you know. But I mean, you could kind of sort of get away with stuff like that. Yeah. But again, it was very much of a, a cultural, social experience. It, yeah. it, it sounds like a World Cup game or a national you know, football match uh, that lasts like five days. Right, because I mean, in, in some in some of these soccer, you know, football countries, the, it this, the country shuts down. Yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, essentially, that, yeah. That's, that's it. it. You know, and everybody's watching the game. But yeah. it, it sounds like, but that, but like, for a week. Yeah, yeah pretty much. Wow. So in countries like the West Indies, um, India, Pakistan, South Africa, Australia, New Zealand is like that. Mm. But there's a lot of other cricket playing countries that aren't to that level, and they don't get as involved, like the Netherlands or right. Canada. Or, yeah. That sort of thing. Canada has a cricket team? Yeah. They qualified really? for the World Cup a couple of times. Wow. I, yeah. They're not <laughs> Go Canada. <laughs> Go Canada. <laughs> oh, Canada. <laughs> Go Canada. But just for the, for the people that are listening to, so cricket doesn't always last five days, right? No. Like we also have one-day matches, and yes. we also have this new, this more recent game type called 2020. Yeah. And it's way more exciting. So the whole, yes, I understand. A five-day test match is going to be boring. And you never know if you're going to even win at the end of five days. You could end in a draw. Oh, <laughs> no. Yeah. That's that. Oh. Win, lose, or draw. Yeah, can't can't we go to a shootout or something? No, there's none I of mean, that. It's a case of five days play of playing days a game and, and you don't know if you won or lost? No, that's it. Man. So they introduced back in the 70s and early 80s, I guess, they introduced the shortened version of the game where it was limited overs. So when you're playing cricket in um, six balls, you bowl from this side towards right. the guy and six balls, you bowl from the other side towards the guy. And that's called an over. Mm-hmm. So they limited the game and they said, okay, not everybody's going to get out, but we're going to shorten the game to 50 overs. So 300 balls. That's it. That's it. And you have to score as many runs as you can with the available guys that you have within that period of 300 balls. Hmm. And then each t- team gets a chance to do that. And that's called a one-day game because it'll take about four hours each right. inning wow. for 300 balls. And then they decided to shorten it a little bit more to make it even more exciting. Because even when you've got 50 overs, you can still you know, go a bit slow and it's, you take your time, whatever. But they shortened it to 20 overs. So now you've got 120 balls. And it's a case of short, sharp, bang the thing. You get each inning only lasts two hours. So the whole game is only four hours. Hmm. It's like a football yeah. match or a, you know, a baseball match. So, but it's much more exciting for the fans because the guys out there that are hitting yeah. want to make a run every single time. Yeah. One of the good things about that too, it, it it's not only just more exciting for the fans, 
but it's it's good for the economy. Yeah, because yeah. you know more people are coming, and you know that that's more money on the table, right? Yeah. That's that's more vendors, that's more you know jerseys that are going to be bought, that's more tickets that are going to be bought, that's yeah. more jobs in the economy, and you know that it was great while while that was going on. Oh yeah, and still, I mean the the Indian league they've introduced the Indian Premier League. That's the format that they're using for their league. Oh, okay, and they um call up all sorts of international players to come and play there the level of play is much much higher because you got much more people who want to play that so you're going to get the cream of the crock all the time right so i guess it'd be like the premier league in europe exactly yeah so it's like soccer you you have uh, leagues all over the place but the guys who are playing at the top level are the cream of the crop. Yeah. same with the, the cricket like that mm. so it is good and they're trying to get it into the olympics as well at some point um, next year, in fact, they're going to have rugby for the first time in the modern era in the Olympics again. Interesting. So is, is that is that big in South Africa as well? Oh, South Africa is huge in rugby. Yeah. Wow. Huge. The three big sports in South Africa are soccer, football, yeah. cricket, and rugby. Huh. Yeah. So you know what I never understood about rugby? Yeah. So it, it's to me, it looks like American football without any equipment. Without pads, yeah. So I don't understand how you guys don't have, I don't know, like every... Everything is broken. Like concussions <laughs> well, and broken arms and shoulders and, you know. So there is a lot of hitting and some of it's pretty hard and the guys do break stuff. It's just they don't whine about it and go crawling off the wow. side of the field, you know? No, the, the, the style of play is different. You're not going to be doing that short, sharp jump at each other all the time. The only people who are allowed to really do contact is the guy who's got the ball. Not everybody's running into each other the whole hmm. time. In American football, I still can't understand it. How somebody can hit somebody who isn't even near the ball. Okay. That's just crazy to me. The oh, whole point. It okay. is. I'm sorry. I don't understand. No, we need to be running along the field and somebody comes and boom, hits him and he doesn't even have we the ball. We need to block down field, man. No. That's what we need to do. Go for the ball. <laughs> <laughs> the ball is important. The ball is the most important. <laughs> but there is a lot of injuries in rugby. There's a lot of rules that they've changed to try and cut down on injuries, but at high school level, you're still going to get. Hmm. Broken collarbones. Everybody I know in high school get broken collarbones, and I mean it's one of the things you 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 got to show your opposite number who you are, how what you're gonna you know do. So you get into the scrum the first time, and there's a swing and a swing, and a, <laughs> you know, let each other know who's who in the zoo. You know, so you <laughs> so you just got to man up and be like, That's okay, it. well we're man gonna do yeah. this. That's you know, it. Take it or get away. You don't want to play rugby. You don't want to get hurt. Well, you know, go over there and play uh, you know, something else with the girls. <laughs> oh, <laughs> wow. Uh, just play soccer and and cricket. It's yeah. getting very big. I, I'm I'm excited that um, America is now turning you know more and more soccer and watching more and more soccer. You know to where we get the Premier League game was on Fox, and yeah. now the Women's World Cup is now on Fox and Fox Sportsnet and all this other stuff. So and a lot of. Uh, kids had played soccer as so they understand the game, and now they're ending up watching more and more soccer. MLS is getting big, you, you, like MLS in Seattle. Yeah, they're insane, man. They the have Seattle got some Sound great is, oh, yeah. fans, man. Yeah. And, and and they do the whole thing as far as walking to the stadium and all that stuff. Denver it's has insane. got a huge following for their soccer team. Yeah, Orlando now with the Orlando City mm-hmm. soccer team, they it's huge in Orlando. I see all the cars. I mean, I just moved to Orlando. Uh, west of Orlando like three weeks ago and I drive around and all the cars on the back of the cars it says Orlando City yeah I I, I, you know, I figured Orlando City became a big thing when I saw John Papa not wear his Seattle Sounders you know jersey and, and he wore, was wearing the Orlando City jersey I'm yeah. like what like yeah. okay. there it is and it's amazing for me because there's a soccer team in Soweto in the area of Soweto called Orlando and it's called the Orlando Pirates. And they wanted to call the team in Orlando, Orlando Pirates. Oh, but wow. then the, the soccer team from South Africa said, no, you can't wow. call it that. Wow. <laughs> but I want to go to South Africa now and go buy an Orlando Pirates shirt. <laughs> oh, we can bring it back. word in Orlando. Yeah. Yeah. So Garrett was just straight up awesome. Yeah. I almost want to say we could have kept talking for another hour or two if we wanted to. Man. Like the conversation was, was that so much fun for me. Yeah, but I think he actually had a presentation he had to give. So yeah, you know, I think he had some work he had to go do. But that's right. You know, priorities, right? We want to thank him for coming on the show and sharing his passion for South African food, cricket, and the war between the states. No, no, you mean Civil War? You mean that Marvel movie that they're making? 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, that's right. I'm not going to tell you who dies at the end. Okay, don't tell me. I haven't seen it yet. All right. If you enjoyed this episode, leave a comment on the website at awayfromthekeyboard.com or on Twitter at AFTK Podcast. You can subscribe to the show via the website or on iTunes. And while you're on iTunes, you can comment and rate us. And if you really want to know what makes us tick, sign up to our newsletter where we'll give you behind-the-scenes access to Away From The Keyboard. Next on Away From The Keyboard, we'll have a conversation with NED Framework guru, Julie Merman. Yeah. Yo, man, I got to say, I've been looking forward to this for a really long time. Yeah, it's a really fun conversation. I love talking to Julie. She's awesome. Yeah, I think Julie's one of our, definitely one of our favorite people for both of us. Absolutely. So, see you next week. See you next week. We want to thank you for listening to Away from the Keyboard. As a reminder, we will have new episodes each and every week. You can interact with us on Twitter at AFTK Podcast or at awayfromthekeyboard.com. Hasta luego! Well, there's no water in rugby, so that's why Cecil didn't want to. Yeah, exactly. Give me, give me a pool or some open water. I could do. <laughs> oh, you there know. you go. I'm, a, I'm a big swimmer, so, I'm, so. I'm, that's that's my domain. You know, um, yeah, no. But no maybe, but maybe we can make a water rugby league, man. That'd be something interesting. Well, we could play water polo. <laughs> water polo, uh, water cool. dude. Polo that's insane. Is, oh. I would play rugby rather than go water polo. I tell oh my you that. gosh! What are you talking? Water polo is tons of fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And you get your skin on your legs all scraped off within uh, five seconds. And, and you, you, you've, you've drank about half the pool yeah, because yeah. people are trying to drown you? Exactly. Yeah. Well, I don't I love water polo. <laughs> no, I, I, I had a buddy at university who played water polo, and uh, it yeah. was great fun. Yeah. I also watched, uh, have you seen Underwater Hockey? I have seen Underwater Hockey. That's, <laughs> what? that's weird. No, they tell me hockey. more about they this. Play hockey underwater, yeah, man. That's you got this little puck, and the guy's hockey stick is like a little paddle. And they have to zoom the thing along the bottom. The puck has to stay at the bottom. It's all weighted. So you have to go up and get a breath and go swim down again. And oh, my gosh. So there's like five or six guys on the side. And they the pool is six foot all the way yeah, across. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. There's not a lot of uh, spectator interaction. Oh, yeah. Because I can see that. <laughs> I can see I can Jack see that. Above the water. Right. Where's the puck? You know, we need that, that old fox... They had a blue light the, over the over ice the, hockey. Yeah, 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 we need that back. Line. Yeah, you know, so we could see where the heck the puck is underwater. Yeah, underwater hockey is definitely a player's sport, not a spectator <laughs> <Yeah>. sport. <laughs> it's kind of like bowling, right? Yeah, yeah, but, but that's it's not a interesting. Sport. It's funny. Yeah. So I love sports. I love all sports.